the early Christians would say to one another, He is risen. And they would answer back, He is risen indeed. On this Easter 2020, we look at something we're going to call a breakout moment. A time when something special happens, something unusual that we haven't seen before, or maybe we haven't seen in a long, long time. Hi, I'm Pastor Jim Luby. Welcome to The Faithful Race. And this Easter Sunday is a celebration of a breakout moment. A breakout moment is a high point of some kind. It, it might be an actor who has honed their craft in obscurity for years, suddenly becoming a household name. A gifted musician who's used to playing no-name venues finds themselves on a massive stage in a grand concert hall or the athlete who makes the clutch play at the final buzzer. We love those kinds of stories. We love to hear when someone steps up to a challenge and does well when it's the time to deliver. A different kind of breakout moment might be what we're experiencing now in our world when a virus emerges and begins to spread from one person to the next. Breakout moments tend to grab our attention, whether good or bad. But this Easter 2020, this Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate a very different kind of breakout moment. On that original Easter weekend, there was a different celebration, a very different time. It was a time, at first, when the enemies of the living God believed and celebrated that they'd won. They believed and celebrated the silencing of the Son of God through humiliation, torture, and death on the cross. But the enemies of God were and are wrong. We celebrate that Jesus is alive. We celebrate that the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, that he is risen, and he is risen indeed. Our study passage today comes from Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses, a familiar passage. And Luke, the writer of the gospel account for non-Jewish folks, Gentiles like many of us, is very concerned about communicating fact. Some of you might remember the old TV show Dragnet and Sergeant Joe Friday's signature line, Just the Facts. Here are the facts that Luke records for us. Jesus was arrested after betrayal from one of those who traveled with him, Judas. Now, personally, I hesitate to call Judas a disciple after what we've studied in the Word. Judas did not demonstrate that he followed in the discipline of Jesus. Quite the opposite, in fact. Jesus was betrayed, was illegally tried before the assembled Jewish leaders. He was inappropriately taken to the Roman leadership who found no fault with him. Then he was brought before his own people who rejected him. He was tortured, he was humiliated, he was forced to carry the cross through Jerusalem, the instrument of his own execution. It's horrible. He was nailed to that cross, barely recognizable as a person from the suffering that had been inflicted on him. He was pierced by a Roman spear to assure his death. Then his body was quickly prepared and placed in the tomb, which was guarded and sealed. Friday was the worst day in history. But Christians, we call it Good Friday because we know what was truly accomplished on that cross. 
When the blood of Jesus was spilled, it was part of the loving plan of God to save sinners. And that's all of us. Romans 3.23 reminds us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So our resurrection morning passage begins in Luke chapter 24 with verse 1. On the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But the words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away, amazed at what had happened. When we look at a passage like this, and and it's probably one that's, I would say, one of the more familiar passages it's very easy to sometimes miss some of the details of what's happening. The first thing we see in this is, he's not here. Verses 1 through the first part of 6 tell us about this. It's trying to understand the confusion we read of. And it starts with attempting to understand the grief of Friday and Saturday. Understanding the extreme grief for the followers of this time is difficult for us now especially if we've been part of the church and even our culture, because most of us have heard the good news. Jesus was dead. We know the rest of the story, though. We know that God raised him from the dead, but the people who loved and followed Jesus had seen and heard of the horrific events that had transpired on Friday. The one who they loved, their leader, their friend, going through such agony had to be numbing in one way and overwhelming in another. But we have to remember and understand, that's what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin damages. It's the very nature and should be the expected outcome of the spirit of rebellion toward God. That's sin. These faithful women left out early on that Sunday morning well before the light of dawn. In fact, in the Greek, it says they left at deep dawn, meaning it's morning, but the sun's not up yet. And they went to finish the burial embalming for Jesus' body. That wasn't fully completed before the Jewish Sabbath had begun on Friday evening. They were eager to serve their Lord, even of what they thought was his death. And what a great example of devotion and love. One of my earliest childhood Easter memories is getting up at deep dawn, dark on a Sunday morning to accompany my father when he was pastoring a church in Wimberley, Texas. 
He was preaching an Easter sunrise service just outside of town in the hill country. And we went to a scenic overlook along the highway, a winding place that's called the Devil's Backbone. And I can remember seeing the sun rise over that eastern horizon and spill into the valley below, just as he preached the words that the angel spoke to the women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And even at that young age, I appreciated the irony of those words being loudly preached, echoing over that valley at a place called the Devil's Backbone. Because the back of sin was broken on that first Easter morning. The penalty of death is no more. Jesus had to die for our sin to be paid for in full. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 22, the writer tells us, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, friends, Jesus didn't die to save you from your many sins that you have committed. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again to save you from your sin nature. Our state without Jesus, our mess that falls short of God's glory. So this group of faithful women arrive at the tomb of Jesus expecting to find a very different situation. Let's call it a natural situation. Because after all, dead men don't rise from the grave, do they? But God invades that natural way with his power and his authority. And instead of more spiritual darkness and human grief because of it, the most glorious sunrise in history spills into the valley of their despair, bringing the light of hope like has never been seen. The light of salvation is dawning. He's not here. He is risen. The second part of verse 6 and through verse 8 is these messengers of God, these angels reminding the women of the teaching of Jesus. Over in Luke 9, Jesus, after he had performed some very public miracles, feeding of 5,000 and was becoming well-known, Jesus asked his disciples with him who they believed he was. And Peter makes the bold confession, God's Messiah. Peter, through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, saw Jesus plainly, that he is God's promised Savior. In Luke 9, 21 and 22, Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, and this is what the angels were repeating, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. So I believe we have to give his followers some grace in this moment. It's easy for us to read this complete account some 2,000 years later and believe that his followers should have known what was happening. But we have to remember, this has never happened before. Think about your own life for just a moment. You have had situations in your life along the way in which a parent or some other teacher has foretold a situation that you would face, some difficulty that would arise. But when that situation arose, you might have panicked in the moment. You might have been overwhelmed. Sometime back, I had the opportunity to take part in a Citizens Police Academy experience 
that was taught by the Texarkana, Texas Police Department. And they took us through the very training, uh, very similar to what their officers experienced. We practiced and practiced. We listened to people tell us what to do. We watched video. But when the time came to apply the lessons, it was different. The most difficult experience for me was conducting a traffic stop. And even though it was a controlled situation, it was not a real traffic stop, there was so much happening, it felt so real, and there was so much information coming into my brain that I became overloaded. Part of my brain knew that it wasn't a real life or death situation, but the stress of it was nearly as real. God bless our police officers who do that on a daily basis. I had the information. I had veteran training officers telling me exactly what to expect, just like Jesus told his followers. But they were overwhelmed. The application for us is to clearly remember that there are going to be times in our life of tremendous stress, of great difficulty and extreme emotion. If we're born-again believers and followers of Jesus, we must, must, must remember the Word of God, being fluent and practiced in it, so that when the time of difficulty comes, we don't react in the emotion of it, but we respond in the Word of God. Paul speaks in Ephesians 6.13, and he says, For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Friend, the time to prepare is right now. Knowing Christ in salvation, knowing him better in training and holiness, and we do so through the leadership of the Holy Spirit in learning God's word. 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 gives us the four purposes of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? Well, verse 17 says, So that the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We do this so that we can proclaim in every generation, in every situation, not only is He risen, He is risen indeed. Verses 9 through 12 speak to this. If you look specifically at verses 9 through 11, something really interesting is in there that we sometimes just sort of read past. The words the women spoke to them sounded like nonsense to them. Remember, even those who heard the teaching of the master, it sounded like nonsense to them. In their grief and fear, they had forgotten the teaching of Jesus. They were overwhelmed. They had seen and heard awful things over the last few days. They were in grief. They were in mourning. And they forgot those words. But here's the truth of it. This still sounds like nonsense to many ears today. Because, after all, dead men don't rise, right? Once in the grave, you stay in the grave, right? The very message of hope in Jesus Christ is that death is not the end. The death penalty of sin has been satisfied for you. What about all the alternative theories? What about all these other people who say, well, it didn't really happen this way. Isn't this resurrection just fake news? The truth is this. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is one of the most historically researched and confirmed factual events in our world. Many have come to the table to try to refute it, because after all, dead men don't rise again, only to leave convinced of the truth of the biblical accounts that we're reading. You may be familiar with the name Chuck Colson. Back in the 1970s, he was a a special advisor to the president, President Nixon. Chuck Colson was also at the heart of what's now known as the Watergate scandal. And he did many, many years in prison, but during that time he turned to Jesus and he began a prison ministry, and the rest of his life has been devoted to Christ in teaching and writing and letting others know that there is a hope and a future in Jesus. Here's what he said about it. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You see, we have anecdotal statements like that, but we also have people who have looked at archaeology, who have looked at history outside of the Bible, and seen that the world was talking about what was happening in Palestine. What was going on with this Jesus, the Christ? You see, all of that's important, but at the same time, it boils down to what you and I do with it. And what do we do with this statement? C.S. Lewis famously wrote, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You see, from the account we read in Luke, Peter demonstrated that truth. He got up from the rest of them to go investigate the claims for himself. Did he believe it? Not yet. But if you look at verse 12, it tells us something very important. Peter got up and ran. And when he saw the empty tomb, when he saw the discarded burial cloths lying there, he knew the truth of the angel's message to the women. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And friends, he has risen indeed. And that glorious morning has changed everything. It changes eternity when we are born again and believe. It changes our right now when we follow in the discipline of obedience. We call it holiness. Knowing God's word and will for our lives and trusting and obeying his commands. This is the truth of God. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. This is the good news given to the world, that at just the right time, Christ Jesus died for sinners. But the best news is that he has risen, and he has risen indeed, and that changes everything. We see so many things happening in our world right now. In fact, at this moment, as I record this, there are many church services happening online. And I hear others outside of the church saying, why can't we get on the internet? What's going on? Why is the internet not working? Because it's broken with the truth of God right now. 
This is a breakout moment for the church. This is a breakout moment when we are outside of the walls. Some have said, well, we can't have Easter. Well, of course we can have Easter because the Holy Spirit lives in believers. That's the residence now. That's the temple. It's not the church. That's just where the church comes together to meet, these buildings that we recognize. But right now, the church is deployed. The church is all over neighborhoods. It is praying. It is in homes. It is celebrating together, even if we can't be physically together. And what a great blessing and what an amazing time. The church, by and large, has responded beautifully and biblically to the challenge that is facing our world and our nation right now. The truth of God is going out, that Jesus lives, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And I pray that you recognize and have known this as your breakout moment. I'm Pastor Jim Luby. I pray that you have an amazing Easter and a wonderful week as you continue on the faithful race. Thank you.